This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. So I took the bag of curds and I threw it up on my defroster on the way up to Madison, warmed them up good. So when I got to the meeting, my curds were warm and squeaky. And that was it. We passed them around and they were the standard. Everybody said, these are really good. I'm Lindsay Christians. And I'm Chris Lay. This is The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Cheesemakers from all over the world have come to Madison this week for the World Championship Cheese Contest, where specific differences between the feta and the blue come down to tenths of a point. Steve Stetler is a master cheesemaker from Broadhead who runs Decatur Dairy. He knows this world really well. He's the third generation in his family to do this job. He's got very strong opinions about how to make the best cheese curds and what makes a Swiss cheese special. For our chat, Steve brought in some curds that he'd actually made fresh just that morning. They were tangy, salty, and most important, super squeaky. We chatted about the competition uh, and how he picks which cheese he's going to submit. I am still thinking about that amazing Havarti. It was so good. It was so good. (laughs) All right. Enjoy this chat and give a listen. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for coming in. Oh, no problem. It's a it's a pleasure. So you drove up from Broadhead this morning? Yes. That's good. Yep. Um, Already made some cheese curds. So. This morning you did? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> How early do you get up to do that? Oh, uh, this morning I went in about 4.30. Oh, boy. It's like being a baker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lindsay especially is a late. <laughs> I am. <laughs> a late riser. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, what is a typical day for you? Do you make cheese most days? Because I know you've got a team of folks probably that you work with, right? Correct. I, I have another master cheesemaker on staff, and I have a couple other cheesemakers. And then I have the office staff. And I'm I'm kind of involved in all of it from sales to manufacturing. I don't really do a lot of the on-deck cheesemaking. I supervise a lot. You know, if I have to fill in, I'll fill in. But I'm kind of all around the plant guy. Well, you've been a master cheesemaker for like more than 20 years now. Right? Correct. Um, is the other master cheesemaker Matt? Is that right? Matt Hensey. Matt Hensey. Yes. Okay. So you are a third generation cheesemaker. Correct. I was wondering how you think the work that you do today is different than maybe your is it your dad and your grandpa did? Would they recognize this job as being the same one they did? No, not at all. It's it's changed a lot. I mean, you have, you know, computerization and everything else. It's a little different than hands-on or handmade. You know, st- my I'm sure my grandpa stirred the kettles by hand. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, I'm, we had automation. But there again, the old Swiss kettles had a Model A Ford rear end hanging above it. You know, that's what they used to stir the curds. You know, uh, it was a stir in the kettle. Mm-hmm. So those things have changed, you know, just modernization, and then you have all the robotics now. So it's it's a little different, and, and it's made it easier, and it's probably made the product better, you know. More consistent? Correct. I was writing about uh, coffee roasters a little while ago, and I realized that they've automated, like, roasters to the point where 
you can adjust things on your roaster remotely just using the tech. There are smokers like that now, too, where, like, you're basically using your phone or your computer somewhere else. Everything just has an app. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of far out there. Yeah. Yeah, it feels very sci-fi. Are there any, like, what are the next, like, levels of technological like development and evolution that are going to be coming down the line that you foresee? Well, it depends on what you want to do with genetics and what is pure and what's not Ah. pure. I mean, you know, the lactose and lactates, uh, are they going to be generated artificially, you know, and and then it's the non-dairy people trying to get into the dairy business or into the cheese business. You know, that's kind of scary for a guy like me making a natural product. Uh, I I would say – Technologically, that would be probably some things that are going to be a little different. Yeah. Well, this is why you hear so much uh, people talking about like almond milk shouldn't be able to be called milk, right? It, or should be spelled differently to distinguish it from actual milk. Milk. <laughs> yeah. Well, my granddaughter put it best. How do you milk an almond? How do you milk an almond? How do you milk a soybean? Can't. can't no. Milk an <laughs> With a very tiny bucket. That's <laughs> I mean, she said it pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. I was wondering, so we were reading about how you are going to be this spring the first master cheesemaker with a certification in cheese curds. And I wanted to just find out a little bit more about why you thought that was an important thing to add. And also, basically... What makes a good cheese curd versus a bad one? Well, we've all had varying degrees of cheese curds. True. And <laughs> that was that was my initial case mm-hmm. is there should be some standard for cheese curds. So, I mean, and, and I've asked that over the years. So I got a master's in Munster, which is kind of the base of my white curds. And then I've got a master's in cheddar, which is the basis of our cheddar curd. But making a cheese curd is kind of an art itself mm-hmm. because it's got to be squeaky. pH may be a little different. Moisture may be a little different. So I I just went to the board and asked them, hey, you know, cheese curds in Wisconsin are a big hit. Why would you not consider that to be a master cheese? So we passed some curds around the table and there was a conversation and and they approved, you know, the cheese to move forward to be a master cheese. I'm curious, those curds that you passed around the table, were they all like top quality curds or did you did you sort of say like, look here, this is a problem. This is why we need people to be more trained in how to do this because these ones aren't very good. Like, how did you do that? Seriously, you, wanna... you really want to know? Yeah. Yeah. So I took the bag of curds and I threw it up on my defroster on the way up to Madison, warmed them up good so they were all nice and warm because <laughs> they were cold when I left. So when I got to the meeting, my curds were warm and squeaky and they were they were a day old. Yeah. And that was it. We passed them around and they were they were the standard. Everybody said these are really good. Yeah. And, I, and not picking on gas stations or anything else, but – I'm sure you picked up some bag of curds and they're all kind of squished together yeah. and they taste more like cheese rather than curds. Exactly. And that and that's tough with cheese curds because, you know, 
they do mature with age and and they will lose their squeakiness. But, I mean, you can have curds over a week old and you put them in the microwave for a few seconds and they come right back to life. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. I should have. I wish I would have known that. Lindsay made a very shocked face. <laughs> Depend, I mean, depending on the age of the curds, yeah. but if the curds are within a two-week window, maybe even two and a half weeks. Really? You put them in the microwave and just warm them to touch. They'll squeak. They'll come back to life. That's amazing. I've always, I've always associated cheese curds with. I mean, you have to be near dairies because they have to be so fresh. Right. And yeah. I didn't know that that was something where you can. You know, stretch the the life of them out a little bit longer. Every time my parents visit, they buy like four varieties of cheese curds, and no human couple can eat that much cheese. It's always so much, <laughs> and I just think like <laughs> if I had a little more time, like so I, now I do. Yeah, it's kind of great. Yeah, and and cheese curds are just so easy, you know, mm-hmm. with a Ziploc bag and and made correctly. I mean, people are always looking for them. Fresher the better, warm. Yeah. I mean, we get calls all the time. Don't put them in the – don't refrigerate them. Leave them warm. We'll yeah. be there in like two hours. So we, we get that kind of stuff all the time. What is the – like at what point were cheese curds marketed as cheese curds? Is that – the, the, fir- the, the first time we started making cheese curds were, uh, was probably 1973. Mm-hmm. Is and selling them as – like curds. these are cheese curds – we bought a little mill, a little curd mill, and then we let the cheese cure, get the pH down. Yeah. And then we'd run it through the curd mill and throw salt on it, bag it up, and sell it out of the store. So that was in the 70s. I would assume there were cheese curds probably in the 60s, yeah. I, I would guess. I I don't know. I've never researched the history of cheese <laughs> curds. I would I, – in the 50s, I would doubt – if curds were well, there's always cheddar curds. Yeah. So people making cheddar would eat cheddar curds. So uh, w- was that an item that they sold? I have no idea. Yeah. But I'm sure if there was a guy out there thinking, "Hey, these these would be good," but then back if you go way back, there weren't a lot of cheese stores, but you could go to the cheese factory. And as a kid, I remember going to my uncle's cheese factory where he made cheddar, and we would eat the curd out of that. You know, that after sounds, it was salted. That sounds great. That sounds incredible. <laughs> and and like people that like farmers that hauled milk to the factory would say, "Hey, give me some of your curds." So if you made cheddar, I'm assuming somewhere along the line you started selling cheese curds. Yeah, you realized that you had something that you could, you know, that clearly was delicious and everyone loved it. But and I don't know if they sold them or people just come in and said, "Hey, yeah, give me some curds out of that." <laughs> you know. I was chatting with a cheesemaker last spring who's been doing this for, you know, several decades, as many of y'all have. Like, this is a, a career that people pick for, like, 30, 40 years. It's amazing. Um, but he was talking about how he doesn't experiment as much as he used to and that now a lot of the experimentation happens with, like, younger folks coming into the to the company, like, who, who want to experiment, want to try some things. But he's doing less of that himself. And I wonder what experimentation looks like 
for you and for members of your team if you're getting like ideas from some of the folks that you work with um, that they or do they bring them to you and say hey I really want to try a test batch of this kind of thing what does it look like at Decatur so you're asking if I'm out to pasture no (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh no no actually actually we had a cheese that that happened with Um, Matt wanted to do Asiago Ooh. So, and, and we're not really set up to do Asiago. So we did a little research with, again, Center for Dairy Research. Mm-hmm. And, and and we got some culture mixes and some theories on how to make it. So we made it, and the first batch was okay. Second batch was pretty good. It's, it's popular in our store. I mean, we're not doing it on a wholesale scale, but it's out there. We, we're sampling it, and if someone says, hey, I want to add that to our line, that's yeah. that's how it all starts. Mm-hmm. As far as creativity, uh, the the door is wide open there, and and I and they are correct. There's a lot of talent coming into the industry, which is kind of surprising because 20 years ago we we're all wondering what's going to happen. Yeah. But but there are there are a younger set of cheesemakers coming in wanting to do their own thing, and and it's working. I mean the master cheesemaker program has always got a guy looking to get into the program, mm-hmm. which we wondered how that would go, and it has a strong following. And the younger people, you know, you have to put 10 years in. So they have to have some dedication, but they're following through with it. I am always interested in when you see something like a Wischego, where it's a Manchego that's made in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. or like, you know, the Sartori, like they do like a the Sarvecchio Parmesan style cheese, but you can't call it Parmigiano because Parmigiano is a specific thing. Right. It's like um, sparkling wine and champagne. Yeah, exactly. And I think Roth got into some issue with it at one point where like they were naming their cheese a specific thing that was and you can't call it that because Well that was Gruyere. It was the Gruyere. Yeah. And they can't call it that. It's just like Sirchois or something now. I don't well, know. that was that was their world class winner. I mean, that won the world contest. Yeah. And then they make uh, another uh, Grand Cru yeah, is their Grand signature uh, Gruyere, as you may say. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. And you just have to sort of look where it is in the cheese case and be like, okay, clearly that's a Gruyere. It's near the other ones. Correct. And I want to buy Wisconsin because why not? We live here. So we have access to all this wonderful cheese. (laughs) Let's enjoy that. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. We are coming up here soon on the competition, the U.S., is it? U.S. Championship Cheese Contest? No, it's the World. World. Okay. World Championship Cheese Competition. Yeah. Is that the, the title? Yeah. So, and I know, Chris, you had a lot of questions about I, how that goes. <laughs> I am so fascinated by the competition itself. I'm just imagining, like, all of these, you know, cheesemakers, you know, coming down, like, you know, boxers entering the ring. Like, is it is it that intense? Like, or do you look at... Do you, do you have an idea of, of how you're going to do when you get there? No, you it's have a lot no of idea. questions. I'm you, sorry. <laughs> you, I mean, you have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you go in, and there's so much talent not mm-hmm. only not only in Wisconsin but worldwide. So you're on the world stage, you know. Um, so everybody's bringing their A game mm-hmm. to the table. So it's the best of the best, and 
if you get in the, it's like one of the judges that's been there forever says, if you get in the top five, even the top 10, you have to be pretty proud because the competition is so stiff, especially the top five, because they're, you know, just inches away from each other. I mean, it could be a hundredth of a point, could be a thousandth of a point, you know, it's just how, how they add up the scores. So it may be a 99.8 and a 99.75, which is there a difference, you know? Yeah. And uh, and, the, and the cheeses are that good that they're almost perfect. But in my opinion, there's never a perfect cheese. There's always something there. Some kind of room for improvement. Some, well, they, they can be close, but I've never I've never seen just the perfect cheese. And I know it happens periodically, but... A, a good judge isn't going to let that happen. Yeah. Um, as far as competing, some guys say they just take a cheese off the table and enter it. I don't. <laughs> I don't believe that. I mean, I we we take cheese off our table, but you watch them and you make sure they're square and you and 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 you know which ones you're going to enter or or a segment of cheese off a table that you're going to enter. It's a little luck, also. That that you made the the best piece of cheese in the class, you know, and, and even if you try real hard, sometimes it just doesn't turn out to be the best. Yeah, and then it's age, and, you know. One judge may like cheese a little younger. One judge may like cheese a little older. So you got to deal with the judge because there's a human aspect to the to the grading also. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I mean, if you're talking about you know sometimes thousands of a point. Separating yeah. first, second, and third, it really, you know, could come down to just the way the wind is blowing. You know, I mean, it's just there's any number of small little things. Yeah, I believe there was a year. I think we had nine cheeses that were 99 or above wow. in a class. Oh my god! And and the judges find it really tough because then I'm you're sure. then you're looking at is there foreign material? Uh, is there anything? Is there a blemish? I mean, it it just comes down to certain aspects because the flavor's there, yeah. you know, and, and it's hard to distinguish. Have you ever made a cheese and thought, this is a winner, this is totally going to, like, go all the way? Or conversely, have you ever sort of looked at the past history of contest winners and things that did really well and tried to make cheese more along the lines of what you saw was winning? I'm I'm pretty superstitious about that stuff. <laughs> so I had a guy come in once and wanted to watch me pick out my contest cheese, and I'm like, I don't really think I want you doing that. And he said, No, I just want to come in and watch you. <laughs> so I let him come in, and and we picked out a che- I picked out a cheese, and he said, Are you going to sample it? And I said, No, I'm not going to sample it. And he goes, so you're just picking out cheeses by look and not sampling it. This guy is sounds like trouble. I- <laughs> no, I mean, he, and that's the truth. And I, and I, there was a point in time that I, I wouldn't taste the cheese because I just thought it was superstitious. I'm just going to go by look, feel, and and send it in. And just a, I was that confident. And just a faith in the product because you, you've been working with it for so long, right. you know what it is, and you know that it's going to be this. Did and, it work? And that year I actually did get first. There you go. That that was just kind of weird. Yeah. But now I have to say we do sample the – because it's so intense. And, I mean, you have to have the flavor right. So we do actually 
sampled it and, and taste the cheese. But there was a long period of time where I just entered it, made it look as good as I could, watched the pH, and, and just entered it. What are the cheeses you have entered in the competition this year? Um, Havarti, flavored Havarti. Uh, I've got dill, pepper, herb, uh, brick cheese, smoked brick. Uh, I got some pepper cheeses in there. We have some Asadero, some Mexican style cheeses, uh, quesadilla, things like that. Yeah. I feel like competitions like this uh, in many industries are great for marketing purposes, right? Like Roth can say, this is our award winner, and every deli that has that cheese can put that on their deli case, and people are like, ooh. So I know that like these things can sort of help in that way, but I wonder kind of what you think about the the visibility of contests like this, the kind of visibility they give cheese companies or specific cheeses, like is it helpful in terms of marketing to do well at contests like these? Well, it it, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, it, it gets your name out there. The, the problem I see is some people expect you to do well. Once you start doing well, they expect you to do well. And that's why some people do not enter the contest because they don't want to be judged against their competitors. But most people look past that and, and enter and say, hey, I'm just going to do the best I can and see where we end up. Yeah. And the contest is getting such a following worldwide. I mean, we have now Japan is entering, uh, hmm. Slovakia, Croatia. I mean, it's kind of crazy the countries that are entering that you'd never thought would enter. Are these very different places in the world, do their cheeses taste distinctly different? Well, I mean, if you look at Parmesan Reggiano, I mean, that comes out of a certain area. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to imitate that flavor. I mean, you can come close. Swiss cheese is the same way in Switzerland. You know, their cows are, are some are in the mountains, some are not. You know, it, they're not pushed as hard. So their cheeses are kind of hard to imitate just because of the milk and, and the structure of their feed. So those kind of areas uh, make a difference. But can you pick a cheese out and know exactly where it came from? I'm not able to do that. Sure. But they are, there is a point of difference. Yeah. Some of them you may not want to put in your mouth. And <laughs> some, are, some are really delicious. Yeah. I, We're not going to ask you to name names. <laughs> no, but I've, I've, seen, I've seen some cheeses where you're like, you know, what the heck is that? <laughs> or what, what is it supposed to be? And I and I don't know if the judges ever say that, but I would I would assume with, after hours <laughs> with uh, thirty six hundred plus pieces of cheese, there's a few in there where they're going to say, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, yeah. you know, because because it's a point of difference, and everybody's trying to make a statement. So. It's not the easiest time to be in the dairy industry uh, in Wisconsin. I've, I've read about a you know, national glut of cheese. Where there's surplus, right? Too much yeah. cheese, yeah. And I wonder, like from your perspective as a cheesemaker who's been in this business a long time, what are things you wish people knew um, about some of the challenges? Well, you know, for a guy like me, it's the marketing and, and then getting your product out there. Having a customer have faith in your product, you know, on the on the cheese store side, you know, it's the it's the person that says, "I hope you keep what you're doing." 
you know, I hope you stay with it. I hope you don't ever decide to leave or sell out. You know, you, you do such a good job, and it's so unique. So that that's kind of a pat on the back. Um, you know, dairy farmers kind of got beat up with animal care. You know, and and I believe animal care is at an all time high right now. I mean, people don't like to see them in a in a freestall barn, but mm-hmm. the sand is cool and they're comfortable. And cows are milking a lot. I mean, they used to be seventy pounds of cow. Now it's common to have ninety pounds of cow because they're so comfortable. And and with the computerization and the feeding, I mean, the cows are fed right. I mean, it's it's kind of unique. I mean, they're they're becoming very skilled. The the farmers becoming very skilled. Mm-hmm. It's just not a guy that plants the corn and milks the cows, and they've specialized. So it's a milk going into the product, you know, and and it's the the cheesemongers out there promoting the product, you know, things like that are are the people you want to get on your team to help market your product. We have had uh, folks on the podcast before who have a certain food-related specialty that they don't actually consume themselves. And I wonder, do you eat a lot of cheese, you personally? I eat a lot of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you, have, do you have favorites? Does it change? It changes all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my, I grew up loving aged cheddar because mm-hmm. my uncle made uh, aged daisies. My dad made wheel Swiss, so I liked aged wheel Swiss when I was a young young man. And you know, and then we went into uh, Havarti. That was a product that we got making, and that's you know a creamy Havarti. I like a creamy blue cheese. You know, the best blue cheese I've ever ate in my life was in Denmark in a little plant, and the guy just went back in the cellar and grabbed a wheel and broke it in half. But it was like 60, 60% cream. That's still, in my mind, probably the best blue cheese I've ever oh eaten. Oh, my gosh. But I, I like blue cheese. And, and we're lucky in Wisconsin to have a talented bunch of blue cheese makers. Mm. I really do. I, I was thinking about the – I was very into Hook's Paradise. Like I would I would just do this like lovely creamy Hook's Blue. There's a Billy Blue, too, that I think Car Valley does. Mm-hmm. Car Valley released one that was like a pentacreme or something. Five, tr- whatever that is, pentacreme, five. Yeah, five different creams. It's not triple yeah. cream. It's, and yeah. I thought, I didn't think this was possible. And it's delicious. It's wonderful cheese. Right. But yeah, I'm very into it. There's, we have such a wonderful range of blues and like cheddar blues and oh my goodness. Yeah, and and it changes, and 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 that's what keeps the market active. People people are always looking for something different. Yeah. So a point of difference is is a big thing right now in the cheese industry. Yeah, as it gets more specialized, and people are very into artisan and specialty, and I can only get it here kind of products. And and there again, with all the specialized cultures, you know, nothing's really impossible. Yeah. And and you can change a signature cheese a little bit. Just by changing up the culture, if it works, you know, in your favor. So we have a lightning round. Basically, it's going to be one or the other, and you just pick whatever, just off the top of your head. Lightning round. Great. Okay, you ready? <laughs> you ready? So excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen these done. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, we're gonna do it. So, butter case or Havarti? Havarti. 
Fresh curds or aged cheddar? Uh, aged cheddar. <laughs> curds, fresh or fried? Fresh. Ranch or spicy sauce? Spicy. Packer game or NASCAR race? Packer game. Ford or Chevy? Chevy. And beach or pool? Pool. And I like the butter or olive oil question. I don't know if you have a, a strong opinion about butter or olive oil. Uh, depends. Uh, they both – that's, that's – you're, you're putting me on a spot there. <laughs> With I, a lightning round question? <laughs> uh, butter. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you. But I like olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> we got to couch it. Uh, uh, but butter is – you know, that's an interesting subject. You know, butter was kind of an outlaw for a long time, and now it's a crowd favorite. Everybody wants natural butter again. That was, yeah, that was a whole thing in Wisconsin for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I need to get my hand on some cultured outlawed. butter. Yeah. And that's the cultured butter has made so a, big, a big comeback. Mm-hmm. You know, so butter is, you know, went from the dark horse in the room to being the crowd favorite again. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in this morning, for driving up, for making curds. Very early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll have some curds. I got some curds here, so we'll yeah. have some after we're done. All right. Yeah, Steve was generous enough to bring a whole bunch of cheese that we are not going to eat on mic because that will result in you unfollowing us. <laughs> yeah, yeah they'll that, be squeaking in the mic. Yeah, right. yeah. Hopefully it's squeaking in the mic. Yeah. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our theme music was composed by Patrick Christians, and the show is edited by Natalie Yar. The Corner Table drops every other week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you like it. Those reviews really do help. Uh, Lindsay and I are both on Twitter and Instagram, so feel free to track us down over there. Uh, You can like our podcast page on Facebook. And also be sure to check out captimes.com for more local food and drink news. Uh, Lindsay just actually took a class on how to make bread at Madison Sourdough. I now have a starter and I'm going to give little bits of it to everybody I know. Oh, that's wonderful. And there's also a feature on Sunny Pa, a new spot on Park Street that makes beef noodle soup that will cure what ails you. I am Lindsay Christians. And I'm Chris Lay. And our wish for you this week is freshly baked bread. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.